I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, everybody. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. It's good to see everybody. It feels good in the house of the Lord this morning. It feels like forever that I've seen everybody. And please uh, forgive me for uh, for my absence. Uh, I uh, tell you what, you ever heard of the Hong Kong crud? That is a real thing. And it is, it is by far the worst thing I've ever had. And I'll tell you what, I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And I just hope, I'm not, I don't believe I'm contagious. Here I am. I don't believe I'm contagious. But I refrain from shaking hands and and if you were smart, you would praise the Lord from across the aisle and just smile at people and uh, think that'd be the smartest thing. We do have hand sanitizer in the back for for your convenient convenience and for other people's convenience. So please use that and as much as you possibly can. I've gotten ridiculed for using it. Oh, you you need germs. You need germs. I tell you what, I didn't need this. And I know I need germs, but I didn't need this mess. And, but there was a time where I, I'm not saying I prayed to die, but I, I, I didn't care if I didn't die. And I'll tell you, it was just pretty rough. But I'm thankful to be here this morning. I pray that I can get through this morning unscathed and that y'all don't get sick in the process. In Jesus' name. My son, Ethan, he just he, he he took off, didn't he? Today's a hard day for me. Um, I uh, knew this day would possibly come, and uh, he uh, he's gotten uh, he's gonna he's gonna be getting married and moving. Today, why are you clapping? Yeah. And he is moving to the great state of Kentucky. And you know how I feel about that. And you know, you're, you're not, I told him, you're not built, you're not built for Egypt, son. You were designed for Canaan, and he's going across, back across the Red Sea. Or what is that? Is that an Ohio River? Is that what that is? Ohio River. It's it's he just it's he's going back across the, the Red Sea, and uh, tonight is his last service for a while. And I uh, um, bittersweet. So, uh, say something good to him, and I think I'll be all right. Um, if 
you have your Bibles this morning, uh, the, the classes, you can be dismissed in Jesus' name. Thank you for standing for so long. Notice I said he's coming back. He, By faith, he's coming back. You know, sometimes you have to leave uh, home uh, and then come back in order to have... Uh, he's not in here, is he? Good, I can talk about him when he's not here. You know, uh, the Bible says the prophet is without honor, save his own country. You know, Jesus, Jesus uh, being... The carpenter's son, the, Mar- the son of Mary, the son of the carpenter's son, Joseph, when he was at home, he preached. Um, I guarantee he preached a powerful message, but nothing happened. Nothing happened. And it was simply because the, they, they, got, they got flesh in the way and they started analyzing who he was instead of analyzing his message and what was coming out of him. Then he goes five miles down the road to Capernaum, five miles. You look in the next chapter and you'll find after he preaches in his home, the Bible says no, hardly anybody got sick or saved or nobody got saved. Nobody got healed except a few sick folk. But he goes five miles down the road and the Bible says that all manner of sickness and diseases was healed. Same message, same God, same power, same authority. The difference was was the way they viewed him, the co- their concept. They began to analyze him in this three-dimensional. And they said, well, you know, we know what he's saying is powerful, but isn't this the carpenter's son? And he's just a nobody from nowhere. And they let that get in the way of this message. And, uh, you know, this is the way I'm looking at Ethan. Ethan has a call on his life. But right now here, he's Ethan. uh, And I'll just leave it that. And you can read between the lines. And he's just Ethan. And he's going to do great things. But I believe that he's going to have to go. And he's going to be in good hands. My good friend, Pastor Elliot. He's going to be his pastor, and man, he is like a drill sergeant. And I, he is going to, he's going to change him, and he's going to make an angel out of him, and send his tail in back, and he'll, he'll do all the dirty work there. So I am so glad to see Brother Dave here today. I know you was here last week. <laughs> We've been holding that pew right there for you. You know, you, that's where you always sit. And I'm glad to see you. You're my buddy. Good, good to see you. Psalms 55 and 17. Also this morning, I'm pretty sure it's Brother Lance Krause's birthday this morning. Amen. How old are you, Brother Lance? 35. Wow. He's got me beat by five years. 35. Happy birthday, Brother Lance. And his mama's here and his aunt's here. It's nice to have people come for your birthday. It's good. To, it's wonderful. What a great birthday present. Psalms 55 and 17, very short passage of Scripture. Now, I don't know how long I'm going to be. I'm going to do my best. If I start choking on you, we may have an early altar call and let the Lord do the rest. Evening and morning and at noon. Psalms 55 and 17. Evening and morning and at noon. 
Now notice there's a cry of desperation. There's a prayer. There wasn't just a set time for him to call on the Lord. He covered every every bit of it, evening, morning and noon. He said, well, I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Now, there are some people that that only will pray when they need God. And there are people that pray when they want God. Now, I don't want to be around a person that only cries out to God when they need him. That mentality of God is a spare tire and we put him on and take him off when we need or when we don't need him is for the birds. That's the mentality. It's always been the mentality. Israel was like that. You know, one day they're needing God and they're desperate. And then the next day they don't need him and they're 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 building golden images to their own gods. And. But I want I want somebody in my life or somebody around me or I want a a church full of people uh, that not so much talented people. But I want people that are are desperate for a move of God. Desperate. (laughs) He said, evening and morning and noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. I want to preach just for a little bit on the fruit of desperation, the fruit of desperation. You may be seated in Jesus name. I love boxing. My dad grew up. We loved boxing. uh, And I I didn't I didn't really learn how to fish very well or dad didn't teach us how to kill a deer. But we we love boxing. And I've got to actually found a picture that I, I had. Of my of me box in a, in a pair of boxing gloves, is barely holding them up. As soon as, as long as I can remember, I've loved boxing. And there's one thing you know about boxing. It's uh, some people. It's to to them. It's boring. Boxing. It's it's a strategic uh, strategic sport. And uh, the fun part is hitting somebody. The part that's not so fun, Brother Davis, is when you get in chinned and you figure out you wake up on the on the mat and you you don't know how in the world you got there. That's not the fun part of boxing. But the older I get, the more I realize I don't want to do that. I just want to sit back and watch somebody else get chinned. And there's one of the boxers that you hear you hear about the. uh, the Rocky Marcianos and you hear about you hear about the Mike Tysons and you hear about the Evander Holyfields and the, and uh, Ali and all those guys. But there's one boxer that I I really admire. You don't hear a lot about, but you would hear about a movie called The Cinderella Man, a man by the name of James Walter Braddock. He was a light heavyweight boxer. He was. At times, uh, he, he turned pro at 21 years old. He fought back, uh, starting at the early part of the Depression. He turned pro at 21 years old, and at best, he was an average fighter. He would come in, and uh, one minute he was, or one fight, he was fighting, and uh, this really tough, tough opponent, and he would beat him in three or four rounds, and then. You think that he's going to be this promising champion. And then the next fight he fights, he's fighting this 
mediocre boxer. It's a nobody and no name. And everybody's rooting or thinking that James Braddock's going to win. And he, he gets three or four rounds into the fight. And he gets knocked out. And he was up and down continually different. He's just one second. He's ferocious and he's fighting. He's, he's giving it everything he's got. And then the next time he fights, you could see his head's not in the game. He's, he'd rather be somewhere else. And he, he's, he, that's just the way he fought. And he got, and he had gotten married and had a few children and, and they actually made the movie about it. It's pretty interesting. Uh, I don't always recommend movies, but it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's just an awesome story that's told, uh, pretty near truth if you read the book. <coughs> but he, he was a great boxer when he wanted to be. And before long, he had gotten to the point where he was, wasn't in great shape, where he, he had to, uh, try to make up for it, and he would throw punches so hard before long, his right hand became uh, fractured, and he would he, he hit with it to the point where it was more than just fractured. It literally put him out of the fighting game. And it was during the Depression, and he would uh, had to get find another way to fight or find another way to make a living and try to make up for for to feed his kids and, and before long, and you can see this in the movie and you read it in the book, that he, he got to the point where he, he was so bad in his hand, he literally was, uh, his boxing license was taken away and he was set out, um, to, uh, to find him a job and he finds him a job working in the hard part of New Jersey in, in, in the docks and he, he was so bad in his right hand he had to hide his weakness and he began to, to make everybody think that he was left handed and he was, he was pretty much a, a handicap at the time where he had to just fake his way through, through this and all those times, all through the time where he was trying to feed his kids, his electric was shut off and it was in the middle of winter and he goes through all that and there was one part that was really sad and touching where he walked his kids uh, to the car and he put his kids in the car. And he watched his kids go away and he had to pawn his kids off on somebody else because he, as a father, he felt like a failure. He couldn't take care of his kids. And so he watched his kids get in somebody else's car and they had to, somebody else had to be the provider for his children and it absolutely killed him. To make a long story short, throughout his time, uh, he finally, there was a, uh, a boxing match that, uh, that came to town where one of the boxers had canceled and they said, well, we, we know who we can get. We can get James Braddock, and they had the big argument. Well, he's not fit. He's, he's not in shape. He can't. He can't. He can't win this fight. That the guy that's going to he's going to end up fighting is a world champion. And they said, well, we'll tell him to take it easy on him. And it's just kind of a uh, uh, what's it? What just kind of a, a circus bout that nobody's going to really take serious. And we'll put him in, and we'll let him fight. And it would just be kind of a joke between everybody, you know. And we'll give the fight fans simply because, you know, this other guy canceled. So they put him in the ring. And you find in history that 
James Brodick ends up coming back and he annihilates this world champion. And he begins, he, he beat him. And on and on and on you can find where he, um, he starts winning. His, his record went from loss, win, loss, 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 win, to immediate, uh, just this mediocre subpar fighter to this world champion that hardly anybody could take down and everybody was scared of. And in an interview, they asked him, or the gardener, they said, what makes you different than used to? Matter of fact, you uh, you have uh, you have a lot more years on you. You're you're weak. You're you should be slower. You should be weaker. Your 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 eyes have have grown dim over the years, and you um, aren't near the fighter that you used to be. And I, I, there's no way that you could you could be this strong at, at the latter part of your life. Why? What what do you uh, owe that to? He said this, he said, when I first started out, he said, I started fighting for fame. He said, but the older I get, my reasons changed. He said, I started fighting for bread. Did you hear what I said? The reason why I fought back then He said, I was fighting for glory and popularity to get my name in the books. And I lost. He said, but now I become a champion. He said, I realized that it was the reason why I was fighting. He said, now I'm fighting for bread. Now I'm not going to starve. Now I'm fighting for my children. Now I'm fighting for my family. There was a sense of desperation. There's a sense of desperation. And I believe that desperation breeds a passion with people. I believe that you can see somebody, if if, if you see them starting to backslide, you start to see them falling back. Nine times out of ten, yeah, they can blame it on hurts and they can blame it on pain. But hear me, if they lose their desperation to live or desperation to want to please God, that is the very thing that, it, that you gotta, uh, that, that's the very thing that they're missing in the first place. You'll find that in the spirit of David when David shows up at the battlefield and he looks at Saul and then that was the difference between David and Saul. Saul had la- lost the spirit of desperation and he lost uh, the, the vision that was standing before him. That's why Saul for 40 days put up with the voice of Goliath. And in 10 minutes, 10 short minutes, David said, I've had enough of this devil. What, what we have got to do as a church. <laughs> what we've got to do as a church is find our passion and find our anger. The Bible says that we should, the violent, we gotta take it by force. And there are too many people living their life that, that, that they're not desperate anymore, desperate for a move of God. They're desperate for a visitation of God. And I believe that in the last day, I feel in the Holy Ghost very strongly that McCormick's Creek Church is getting ready to rise to the occasion. Cause I feel a spirit of desperation. 
that they're tired of just status quo and the way we've always had church. You can see that in the in the, in the, in the, the the mindset of the way a lot of people have church. Not just not just Christian, not, not just the Baptists, not just the Methodists. The people that you know that that they quit worshiping, they quit having prayer meetings, they quit they, you know having having a revival church. But you can see it all across the world in in the apostolic churches where people have lost their spirit of desperation. But there needs to be a power of desperation come into our spirit. It is strange how circumstances in life change uh, our perspective about what we see that what's important uh, when when uh, when there's a spirit of desperation or not in our life. People change their their mindset when they're desperate. Things that we used to think of as a a necessity when you're not. Desperate are uh, all of a sudden uh, they 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 change their mindset when they're desperate when their situation changes. You can do things human uh, humans can do things they ordinarily wouldn't be able to do when they're desperate. I've talked about this many times. My grandma was in in the living or living room or kitchen and she hears this this uh this crash outside and uh, she runs outside and the car it rolling off and it was on top of my grandfather's chest and he was dying underneath that car and my old frail grandmother ran out into the driveway imagine a, a grandma running out into the driveway and she picked that car up off of my grandpa now, the day before, when there wasn't anything under that car, she wouldn't have been able to budget. She barely was able to open the door at times. But the day that Grandpa was under the car, she picked that car up. Why? Because there was a sense of desperation in her life. It caused her to push beyond human reasoning in that thing. And I'll tell you what, there are people that are losing out with God simply because they've lost their sense of desperation. You, you say, well, I don't, I don't like the feeling of desperation. I don't like, I'm going to tell you what, when you go into battle without a feeling of desperation, you're going to fail and you're going to lose. But you need a spirit of desperation. Let me tell you why you should be desperate. Because your children are looking at you. Your, there are people that are looking at you. And whether you make the right decision in your life or not will determine whether your children will make it to heaven or go to hell. This is a matter of life and death. This isn't something we just come in and and just haphazardly do things. But there needs to be a spirit of desperation that comes into our spirit and say, you know what? I'm going to live for God like I've never lived for God because I'm going to either die or I'm going to live. True need has a way of changing our perspective and getting us to the place where we can properly assess the value of what's really important in life. 
It's not a popular message to preach in, in, in a nation that's so blessed and prosperous that we, we always have what we need. We're always getting what we need. Here's the problem. When we always get what we want, there's rarely a spirit of desperation. You hear me? When you always got what you want. You're never going to feel desperate. The Apostle Paul found that place in prayer, in a prayer meeting when he asked God, he asked him for a healing, but simply got the answer. My grace is sufficient for thee. I don't have a hundred percent proof, Brother Snellenberger, as to why that Paul was so power, such a powerful man. But I, I, I think I have somewhat of a, a, an aspect to his life when I look and he prays that God would take this. He was sick of dealing with it. And God says, you know what? My grace is sufficient for thee. And, and Paul says, you know what? I'm going to be okay with it. But because he realized that place of desperation was an opportunity for a visitation of God. Because you can't do it without God. You can't make it without God. You need His presence. You need His power. You need His authority. You need His Holy Ghost in your life. And you can't do it unless you're desperate. No wonder he wrote to the church in Romans uh, and said, and we know that all things work for the good for them that that love God to them who are called according to his purpose. This wasn't just a voice of encouragement. This was a voice of experience. He knew that God allowed uh, what God allowed to come to him in his life wasn't only uh, to make him better, uh, but it but it was meant to make God bigger. That's why Paul said, I glory in my infirmities. Who in their right mind would say something like that? I mean, you would have to be on, you'd have to be drugs, alcohol, some kind of happy pills to say, I glory in my infirmities. I glory in my pain. Why would somebody say that? Except that Paul had an understanding that it was simply because of his pain that birthed desperation. And desperation birthed an attitude that said, I'm not letting go until God blesses me. Too often we look at troubling circumstances as a curse. But oftentimes there are blessings because in them we see our despondency upon God. And as long as we can see that, we will always come on and, and, and be on top if we can understand that we can depend on God. Brother, Brother uh, Anthony Mangan, he's one of my all-time greatest preachers. I love his preaching. Somebody, you know, I, I've, I've heard preachers that preach a little more fancy or say a little more fancy words. And I've heard preachers preach a little more, uh, their, their vernacular, a little more fancy, the way they teach and the way they preach, whatever. But I, I, I love his passion. If you've never heard Anthony Mangan preach, you owe it to yourself to go watch him preach. It's no wonder he's bald. He pulls his hair out when he preaches. Just so passionate about everything. Oh my God, just everything. I, uh, 
I did, I, absolutely. I, I watch and listen to everything that I can get my hands on on him. But I watch him. But he said when he was younger, he said when he was a kid, he said he used to like to, to drive on that farm, old farm truck on that old farm road. He said, and he remembers standing in the lap of his dad, and he said his dad, he would let him drive, and he said, I remember, he said, I remember looking at that road, and he said, I've done a good job, I'm keeping between the the lines, and I'm doing a good job. He was like seven or eight years old, and and his dad was letting him drive, and he realized how he was doing really good, until he realized he looked down, and he said, Dad had his hand on the wheel driving that car, and he realized he wasn't doing it himself. He said, Dad. Dad, get your hand off the wheel. Get your hand off the wheel. And he said, finally, Dad dropped his hand off in the wheel. And he said, I ended up in the in the ditch, hit hard in the ditch. He said, and I realized that if Dad didn't get his hand back on the wheel, he said, we were going to die. He said, I spent the rest of my time saying, Dad, get your hand back on the wheel. Because you need him. You need God. Need him. When, when you, when we think that we can go through life without him, we're gonna we're gonna fail. I'm not talking about getting up every morning and beating yourself up and going, "Whoa, it's me!" Oh, I need all that stuff. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having enough uh, enough humility <coughs> about yourself. And having enough uh, dependence on God to say it, to vocalize it and live your life like it. God, I can't breathe without you. I can't I can't make a decision without you. Everything I do in my life, I need to do it with you in my mind. How is it going to affect my outcome in my life? I just need your help. That's why Dave, that's why Paul said, I, I glory in my infirmities. Because when I'm weak, he's made strong. It's okay, brother Dave, to be weak. It's okay, brother Sims, to feel a sense of desperation. You're not a weak man because you feel desperate. It's okay. You, you, you don't have to worry. You know, us men, I'm not just speaking for you, I'm speaking for us men. Us men, a lot of times, we're so self-dependent, self, you know, we can do things on our own. We don't need the government. We don't need pastor. We don't need uh, people in our life to control that. And I'm glad. I'm glad you can work hard. I'm glad we can do things on our own. But listen to me. We need God, and we need each other, and we need the church. I like to be able to think I can do things on my own. I'm 44 years old and I, I feel like, you know, I, I'm smart enough in some ways, but there's some way, there's some times where I need people in my life and elders in my life. I still need my dad in my life and I still need elders. I still need Brother Horton in my life. And I still need Brother Davis in my life. And I need Brother uh, Krause in my life. I need men. I need the ladies in my life to help me. 
Why? Because sometimes I'm desperate and I need help and I need guidance and I need prayer and I need direction. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible says a wise man receives instruction, but a fool will not listen to instruction. And people that are fools ignore the fact that God looks at desperate people. You know who doesn't, let me tell you who doesn't get miracles. Let me tell you who doesn't get miracles. The people that aren't desperate enough to cry out for miracles. The people that don't get help are people that aren't desperate enough to cry out for help. My God, how desperate could a person have to be a lame man? How desperate would he have to be for somebody to, to, to peel off the top of the roof to let that man in on the service of Jesus? You know, most people would have walked to the back door and said, you know what? That crowd's too big. There's too many people packed in that place. It's not the place for me. You know, we'll talk to Jesus some other time. We'll, 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 find, we'll get a miracle some other time. I mean, who in their crazy type of thinking would think about walking into a back of a building and see the church too, too many people there and go, you know what? Um, I, I want a miracle. No, well, come on. We can wait till tomorrow. Jesus is going to be around tomorrow. I mean, there's no plane, airplanes. He's not going to get away that quick. We're, we're just, he's going to be around tomorrow. He can't run that quick. We'll chase him out of town. We'll wait by the gate. No, that, that guy on that, on that lane, that bed that they carried in, I don't know who, who, who made the decision to tear the roof off, but whoever it was was simply tired of seeing that man lay on that bed. They were tired of it. They, they, they was just sick and tired of it, of, of the same exact junk over and over every single day laying on that bed. And so the man that got the miracle was the man that was willing to go up to the roof and rip the roof off and be let down into that in that place. And that man got his miracle that day. What there needs to be in our churches are people that are tired and sick of being in the same exact situation that they've always been and say, you know what? I'm not leaving here until I get my blessing. People that don't get their blessings are people, people that aren't desperate. They're, hear me. They're, I, I don't know why people. Uh, I think it's a thing of pride. A lot of times it's a thing of pride. They say, oh, I, I'm, I'm not going to ask because, I, and they make up all kinds of excuses. I've been around this thing long enough. I know their excuses. Well, I don't want to go to the altar because I just don't want people thinking I did something wrong. Who cares what people think? Zacchaeus. You want a visitation of Jesus? How desperate are you? Well, I showed up. You, oh, he showed up? Well, ordinarily that's good enough. 
But you lack in stature and you lack. And Jesus is not going to notice you because you're a, you're really a nobody and you're just going to get lost in the crowd. And, and, and Zacchaeus in his mind, think I'm, I'm, this is literally what he's thinking. I'm just going to be like everybody else. And if I'm just like everybody else, nothing's going to happen. And Jesus is going to walk right by me. And, and, and I'll probably never, ever get a visitation like this ever again. But he said, you know what? I'm so desperate. I'm going to climb. A tree. Who does that? Somebody that's desperate. Yeah, okay. You only okay. You only liken it to things we do. Who who dances for Jesus? Who runs the aisles when 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 nothing's happening? I'll tell you who does those kinds of things. People that are desperate to be seen by Jesus. People that don't get miracles are people that aren't desperate. Woman with the issue of blood lived with it for 12 years. 12 years. Same old thing. Same. It'd kind of get old, wouldn't it? I, I, I live with this sickness right here. I, I live with it for over a week. And I felt like it was 10 years. Ten. I mean... Eight days. Felt like a lifetime. This woman dealt with for 12 years the same exact problem over and over and over. Not, not got better. She spent everything she had on doctors, ideologies of men, traditions of men. But the Bible says she didn't get better. Didn't stay the same, but she spent all she had and only got worse. Which tells me that your desperation, you cannot lean on the understanding of men and you can't base whether you're going to get your miracle by what other people do. And there comes a time where you have to get desperate enough to think outside the box. And what this woman did, she said she got down on her knees. She couldn't hardly, excuse me, she couldn't get to him any other way. While everybody else wanted his attention in his face, she come to his feet. Notice her approach was vastly different between everybody else. They wanted a handout and she just wanted a healing. And she ended up touching the hem of his garment. She didn't even touch him. She touched just the hem of his garment. And that one act of desperation caused Jesus, the God of this world that cannot be stopped. He stops and pauses and he says, who touched me? What do you mean who touched you? How do you, what are you asking that question for Jesus? What do you mean who touched you? There's thousands of people touching you. And it, 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 matter of fact, it didn't even touch him. It touched the hem of his garment. The difference between her touch and everybody else's touch was her sense of desperation. Everybody else wasn't desperate. They had once. They had once. They had once. I don't know. First four, three or four years, maybe, maybe at first five or six months of her life, she wanted to be healed. But it, 
the years of and, and the pain that went through in her life, it turned into being a need. And there is a difference between when you want something and when you need something. Because when you need something, your prayer changes, your attitude changes, your cry changes. Your prayer changes. I'm I'm, I'm running out of steam. You're going to have to come up, sis. Hear me, hear me. I need you to listen to me. Your cry changes. What's that, what, is there a difference? What, what's that mean? Your cry change. I'll tell you how it different. Uh, mamas. You know the difference? You know the difference when your, your baby's mad because he wants a toy and somebody took a toy from him? You know that cry, don't you? You know the cry when a baby makes when, when they're hungry? You know that cry? Or when they're tired? You know that cry. I've been around moms, moms long enough to hear. I remember mom saying, "Oh, she, she's just hungry. Oh, they're just, they're just fighting. Oh, she's just tired." But then, when that baby's hurting, something that the, the nature of a mother that is attracted to the cry of their child, because they know. The cry, the tonality of the child's voice between if they're just spoiled or they're just angry or they're hurting. And a mom will ignore the cry of a baby that's spoiled. They should. Maybe that's why they're crying all the time, because you don't ignore their cry. But then there's those times when you hear the tone of a child that's desperate where they just touched the stove or there's a rabid dog that's getting ready to bite them. And there's something about it, the cry of a voice of a child. And that's the same way with God when there's people that walk into the sanctuary and they got their crying and they got their voice out. And God says, you know what? I know the difference in that. That's the same cry they had last week. Um, but I, I'm going to show up. I'm waiting until they get so desperate that they need me, that they long for my touch and they need me tonight. That's when I'm going to show up. David understood that when he said that God knows his voice. When he cried out, he said he heard my voice and he heard my cry both night and day. And when I cried so desperately, he showed up. So I'm asking you this morning. Are you going to cry out to him this morning with just a need? Or are you so desperate this morning for a move of God that you're really going? I'm not asking get out and start yelling or anything, but there's there there. I believe that in a person, in a desperate person's voice, there's going to come a, a severity and, and and a sincerity uh, to someone's mind and their heart when they cry out to Jesus. And all it takes is a whisper. Man in Gadarenes, Mark chapter 5. If anybody had a right to be desperate, 
man with 2,000 devils or more had to be desperate. But he ran out of a, a graveyard and he falls down at the feet of Jesus. He was possessed with the devil and Jesus still came. He was possessed with the devil and he would... Now oh, get this. He was so locked in himself when Jesus said, what is your name? Jesus looked at him, what, what's your name? He didn't ask the devil what is his name. He said, what's your name? And the guy was so lost himself, he couldn't even answer his own name. And the devil answered for him. He said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Jesus was getting personal with this guy. wanted to get to know him. He said, Who's your, who are you? He couldn't even answer. So he was, he was so lost himself, but still with 2,000 devils, he was so desperate. Sister Kim, he was so desperate that he ran out of a graveyard and with 2,000 devils, he fell down at the feet and worshipped God. Some of us aren't even near that kind of problem. And we can't even, we, we think we can't worship God. I'm going to tell you what, when you're desperate, you can worship God in any state with any problem. Let's stand. I got him. Ten pages of notes here that I didn't get through, but the Lord, the Lord's going to help us here. I'm going to open this altar as the musicians play and sing. I'm going to ask this, this place to turn into an altar all over this place, and I'm going to ask you. Listen to me. I'm just. I'm asking you. Just for, we got time. I've closed early. I'm asking for you to cry out. The spirit of desperation. Don't just pray a lay me down the spirit prayer. But I'm asking you to go to your knees. If you physically are able to do that, if you can't, you can sit there and pray. But this altar is open. And I'm asking you to cry out the spirit of desperation in your heart and your spirit. In Jesus' name. Upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dear. 
Falling on my 
shake somebody's hand. Be friendly. Be careful. It's cold out. Come back tonight. Ready to have service in Jesus' name.